السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد So did anyone try to memorize hadith number two? I didn't ask you to obviously, but did anyone try? Yeah? Nobody? Although the homework was not given to memorize the hadith, but you could still try to memorize the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Hmm? When the Sahabi asked him that كَيْفَ يَأْتِيكَ الْوَحْيُ How does the wahi come to you? So his statement, his explanation, his answer are his words, right? So we could try to memorize them, inshallah. Uh, just a few things before we begin the lesson. First of all, when I tell you the translation, I give you the word to word. But inshallah, from now on, I'll be giving you the translation of phrases. Because alhamdulillah, you have done word to word translation. But now it will be two or three words together, or two words together, or four words together, depending on how a meaning is complete. So this should be a level ahead, inshallah. This should be the next level. Because you should be able to understand the Arabic text. Because when you do word to word, then what happens is that your understanding is broken as well. So anyway, for your homework, remember that this word to word translation, this is what you have to revise. Or phrase by phrase translation, that's what you have to revise. And um, review the translation for your homework. If not, memorize the hadith. And also, focus on the lessons. What more lessons can we learn? Okay, we'll begin from hadith number three. I will read the Arabic once and then inshallah we'll move on to the meaning of the hadith. I've given you the translation already. Haddathuna Yahya ibn Bukairin Qala haddathuna al-laythu an uqaylin an ibn shihabin an urwata ibn al-zubayri an aishata umm al-mu'minina annaha qalat awwalu ma budi'a bihi rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam min al-wahyi al-ru'ya al-salihatu fin-nawm فكان لا يرى رؤيا إلا جاءت مثل فلق الصبح ثم حبب إليه الخلاء وكان يخلو بغار حراء فيتحنث فيه وهو التعبد الليالي ذوات العدد قبل أن ينزع إلى أهله ويتزود لذلك ثم يرجع إلى خديجة فيتزود لمثلها حتى جاءه الحق وهو في غار حراء فجاءه الملك فقال اقرأ قال ما أنا بقارئ قال فأخذني فغطني حتى بلغ مني الجهد ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ قلت ما أنا بقارئ فأخذني فغطني الثانية حتى بلغ مني الجهد ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ فقلت ما أنا بقارئ فأخذني فغطني الثالثة ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم فرجع بها رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يرجف فؤاده فدخل على خديجة بنت خويلد رضي الله عنها فقال زملوني زملوني فزملوه حتى ذهب عنه الروع فقال لخديجة وأخبرها الخبر لقد خشيت على نفسي فقالت خديجة كلا والله ما يخزيك الله أبدا إنك لتصل الرحم وتحمل الكل وتكسب المعدوم وتقل الضيف وتعين على نوائب الحق فانطلقت به خديجة حتى أتت به ورقة ابن نوفل ابن أسد ابن عبد العز ابن عم خديجة وكان امرأ تنصر في الجاهلية وكان يكتب الكتاب العبراني فيكتب من الإنجيل بالعبرانية ما شاء الله أن يكتب وكان شيخا كبيرا قد عمي فقالت له خديجة يا ابن عمي اسمع من ابن أخيك فقال له ورقة يا ابن أخي ماذا ترى؟ فأخبره رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خبر ما رأى فقال له ورقة هذا الناموس الذي نزل الله على موسى صلى الله عليه وسلم 
يا ليتني فيها جذعا ليتني اكون حيا اذ يخرجك قومك فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم او مخرجيهم قال نعم لم يات رجل قط بمثل ما جئت به الا عودي وان يدركني يومك انصرك نصرا مؤزرا ثم لم ينشب ورقه ان توفي وفتر الوحي Okay let's move on to the explanation Yahya bin Bukair narrated to us to who Imam Bukhari so Yahya bin Bukair is the one whom Imam Bukhari was learning from And he said that Al-Layth narrated to us from Uqail. And he from Ibn Shihab. Who is Ibn Shihab? Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. And he from Urwa ibn al-Zubayr. Who is Urwa ibn al-Zubayr? The nephew of Aisha radiallahu anha. So he narrated from Aisha radiallahu anha. And who is she? Ummul Mu'mineen, the mother of the believers. That she said that the beginning of the revelation to Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was in the form of good dreams in his sleep. One question. Who is narrating about the beginning of the revelation? Aisha radiallahu anha. When was the wahi sent to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the first time? How old was he? Around 40 years of age. And it was 13 years before the hijrah. How old was Aisha radiallahu anha then? She was not even born at that time. So Aisha radiallahu anha is narrating about the first revelation about how the wahi first began coming to the Prophet ﷺ. She wasn't there. She never witnessed it. She never saw it. So how come she is narrating it? Okay, she must have heard from someone. Okay, from her father. Or perhaps the Prophet ﷺ himself would have informed her. Given that how much he loved her, and given how curious she was, and how many questions she would ask the Prophet ﷺ. Because there are people who try to negate the hadith, reject the hadith, and these are the points they look at. That look, Aisha was not even born at that time according to you, and she's narrating. She wasn't even there at that time. So this hadith is not mursal, because remember that whenever a sahabi narrates, then we take it as that hadith which is connected, it's muttasil. Although the sahabi was not there, even though they did not witness it, but it's not possible that a sahabi would narrate something from their own imagination. No, they would narrate something that they have heard, that they have learned, that they questioned about, or that they heard somebody else questioning about. Whatever they learned, that is what they narrated. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she narrated this hadith based on her knowledge. And how did she gain that knowledge? Either by asking the Prophet ﷺ, or perhaps somebody else had informed her. Now what did she say over here? That أَوَّلُ مَا بُدِئَ بِهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ مِنَ الْوَحْيِ الرُّؤْيَ الصَّالِحَةِ How did the wahi begin to come to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم? Initially how was it? الرُّؤْيَ الصَّالِحَةِ True dream. Salihah literally means good. And a good dream is understood as الرُّؤْيَ الصَّادِقَةِ True dream. And what does it show to us? That true dreams, what are they? A type of wahi. And remember that None of the wahi remains except true dreams. That hadith as well. And why is it that wahi began with true dreams? Why? As a preparation for the Prophet ﷺ. So that he could receive revelation and understand it in the state of wakefulness as well. So it began with dreams for the purpose of preparation. Then she says, فَكَانَ لَا يَرَى رُؤْيَا إِلَّا جَاءَتْ مِثْلَ فَلَقِ الصُّبْحِ He used to not see a dream except that it came true as clear as the morning light. What does it mean by this? That whatever he saw in a dream came true. Whatever he saw in his sleep, he saw it eventually in real life as well. In a state of wakefulness as well. And how did it come true? As clear as the morning light. What does it mean by as clear as the morning light? The morning light, is it obscure? Is it hidden? No, it's very obvious, it's very manifest. Similarly, the dreams of the Prophet ﷺ, they would come true in a very clear manner. They would appear doubtless, just as morning light is doubtless. Similarly, morning light, it clearly emerges, it clearly appears. Similarly, the dreams of the Prophet ﷺ, they would clearly emerge in reality, they would clearly appear in reality. So, مِثْلَ فَلَقِ subh what does it show? The clarity in which his dreams would come true. That how they were free of any doubt, just as morning light is free of any doubt. And then, ثُمَّ حُبِّبَ إِلَيْهِ الْخَلَاءِ Then, he was bestowed with the love of seclusion. 
He was bestowed with the love of seclusion. Al-Khala, Khalam, wow. Notice the word Hubbiba. He was made to love. What does it show? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put this love in his heart. That he loved to be alone, being far away from the people. Why is it that seclusion was made dear to him? Why was this as a preliminary step? Why isn't it that after the dreams came, wahi directly? Why was he made to like seclusion? Why do you think so? In seclusion, what happens? When you're alone, you reflect. What else? You're able to concentrate. You're able to focus. But because when you're amongst people, then what happens? Constantly, you're distracted. You're talking, you're witnessing things, you're discussing things, you're feeling things, you're interacting with people. When you're alone for some time, then you're able to focus and concentrate. And the Prophet ﷺ had to have this ability of being able to concentrate and focus very, very strong in order for him to grasp the wahi and retain the wahi. Because he had to fulfill a very, very important responsibility. What does this show to us? That if we want to retain the knowledge that we are gaining... And if we want to do something about it, then we need some time in which we are alone and secluded. Musa salam, before he was given the Torah, where was he called? At the Mantur. And how long did he stay there? Forty nights. And over there he was alone. So this shows that it's very, very important that when we study, how do we study? How? When we're alone. Because if we're being distracted constantly, then first of all, it will take much longer to study. And secondly, you will not be able to benefit as much from the time and the effort that is put in. Then she says, وَكَانَ يَخْلُ بِغَارِ حِرَاءٍ فَيَتَحَنَّثُ فِيهِ He used to go into seclusion in the cave of Hira. And what would he do in the cave of Hira? He would do tahannus in it. And what is tahannus? وَهُوَ التَّعْبُدْ It is تَعْبُدْ How long would he do this tahannus for? اللَّيَالِيَ Many nights. How many? The al adad, a number of nights. Qabla an yanzi'a ila ahlihi, before returning to his family. Now, what do we see over here? That for seclusion, the Prophet ﷺ, what did he choose? Which place did he select? The cave of Hira. He did not select his house, a room in his house. No, the cave of Hira. Why? Because he would be far away from people. Far away from even hearing the people, even seeing what's going on. Because if you're in a house, in a room, in a building, then what happens? Somebody could come and knock at the door. Somebody could pass by saying something and you happen to hear. Isn't it so? So he selected a place that was completely secluded. Completely secluded. And this scale of Hira, where is it? It's in Jabal nur It's in the mountain of light. And... This mountain is extremely tall. It's very huge. Have you seen it? Has anyone actually gone to the cave of Hira? Yeah? How is it? How is the trip? How is the hike up to Mount? It's very difficult. But the hike, the climb up to the cave of Hira in that mountain is first of all very long and secondly very strenuous. It's very difficult. It's not easy. Now they have paved the way, they have made the steps. Perhaps this is more recent. But this just tells us that how more difficult it was for the Prophet ﷺ to go up that mountain. So this is why some people have said that just the fact that the Prophet ﷺ would go up that mountain and stay in that cave for several days itself is a sign. That what was going on or the Prophet ﷺ is not an ordinary man. Because it's not possible for an ordinary man to climb up that mountain and go up to that cave every now and then regularly and stay in that cave and do tahannus all alone by himself. A person with an ordinary heart cannot do that. A person with ordinary strength cannot do that. There are many huge boulders and you have to squeeze through them. So it shows a lot of tact as well. Exactly, physical strength that the Prophet ﷺ possessed. So this is why some people have said that this was also a necessary step, preliminary step that the Prophet ﷺ had to take before the first revelation came to him. What? Going up to the Mount Hira. Because if you think about it, any ordinary person going up to a mountain, in a cave, staying there, you would wonder, is there something wrong with him? Right? But this was a part of his training before he actually received prophethood. Because through this, he was gaining two things. First of all, quwa badaniya, and secondly, shaja'a qalbiya. Quwa badaniya meaning physical strength. 
And we have learned earlier how heavy the wahi was. How heavy the wahi was. Any ordinary person would not be able to receive wahi unless and until they have the strength. And the Prophet ﷺ was given this physical strength through this practice. And secondly, shaja'a qalbiya, the bravery of his heart. That is also what he possessed. Because staying alone at night over there is very frightening. Just imagine you're in the middle of the desert, in a mountain, in a cave. It must be very scary. But he was not afraid. He was not afraid at all. So this shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help was with him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's assistance was with him. And it wasn't that he was doing this out of his own desire. No, حُبِّبَ إِلَيْهِ He was made to love all of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him to like all of this. And in the cave, what would he do? فَيَتَحَنَّثُ فِيهِ يَتَحَنَّثُ It has been said, وَهُوَ التَّعَبُّدْ It is تَعَبُّدْ Who has said this? That وَهُوَ التَّعَبُّدْ وَهُوَ التَّعَبُّدْ Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri He is the one who specified this meaning. And specifying a meaning or giving a meaning of a particular word in the matan of the hadith is known as idraj. Alif, dal, ra, alif, jim. When a narrator adds something into the matan. And why is it that a narrator would add something into the matan? To clarify, so that a person does not confused. Because when you look at the word yatahannasu, it's from the word tahannus. And tahannus could be understood as to indulge in hints. And hints is a major sin. But over here, tahannus does not mean that. What does tahannus mean? It is at-takhalli minal hints. It is to stay away from hints. To stay away from sin. And staying away from sin means worshipping Allah. Because ibadah, remember, includes two things. Doing what Allah has commanded and staying away from what He has forbidden. So when a person is staying away from hints, then what does it show? He is in a state of worship, ibadah. So this is why tahannus means ta'abud. And if you think about it, the Prophet ﷺ, when he was in seclusion, he was away from that sinful society. He was away from those sinful people. In Makkah, what was going on? Shirk. So many crimes, so many sins were rampant. So when he stayed away from there, and when he was in the cave, he was practicing tahannus meaning ta'abud, to practice piety. Others have said, that the word yatahannasu, it has also been narrated as yatahannaf. Yatahannasu, yatahannafu. So, tahannus is from hints, and tahannuf is from hanifiyah. Ibrahim a.s., who was he? Hanif. And it's understood as hanifiyah is known as the religion of Ibrahim a.s. So, he would practice tahannuf, meaning he would practice the religion of Ibrahim a.s. Now, the question is, that in the cave, how is it that the Prophet ﷺ did worship? How did he do ibadah? Was it ilham? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired something to him and he did that. Or is it that he practiced what remained of the practices of Ismail ﷺ, Ibrahim ﷺ amongst the Arabs? Or was it according to fitra? Allahu alam. But remember that all of this is possible. It's quite possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired to him as to how to worship Allah. Similarly, it's quite possible that he knew some ways in which the Hunafa would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so he would do that. Allahu alam. But whatever the case, whatever he was doing, he was doing it in order to gain the qurb of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever he was doing, he was doing it, why? In order to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it said that he would do ta'abud in the cave for how long? adad, A number of nights. How many nights? It is said that the spirit of seclusion would be one month. So how long would he stay in the cave? For one month. And especially in the month of Ramadan. Especially in the month of Ramadan, he would go up to the cave and he would stay there for the entire month and then he would go back. Then Aisha Radhanarha narrates, ثُمَّ يَرْجِعُ إِلَىٰ خَدِيجَةَ فَيَتَزَوَّدُ لِمِثْلِهَا حَتَّى جَاءَهُ الْحَقُّ وَهُوَ فِي غَارِ حِرَائٍ That he would take the provision with him for that retreat, he would come home, he would take provision, and then he would go back to where? The cave. And then again, he would prepare his provisions for another similar retreat until the truth descended upon him while he was in the cave of Hira. What does it show to us? That this was his usual practice. This was his usual practice. And remember, حُبِّبَ إِلَيْهِ الْخَلَاءِ حُبِّبَ means what? That he was, he loved it. When you love something, you end up doing it again and again. 
So this shows to us that this was a regular practice of the Prophet ﷺ that he would go to the cave for retreat, he would stay there, and every now and then he would come back home, gather up his provisions, and return to the cave. And then it is said, until the truth descended upon him while he was in the cave of Hira. What does the haqq refer to? The truth. The truth refers to revelation. And in another version of this hadith, which is also reported in Bukhari, in the book of Tafsir, it is mentioned until the truth came to him suddenly. Over here it's just mentioned, حَتَّى جَاءَهُ الْحَقْ Over there it's mentioned, suddenly. So how is it that the revelation came to him? فَجَاءَهُ الْمَلَكُ فَقَالَ إِقْرَأْ قَالْ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئِ So the angel came to him and said, read. And the Prophet ﷺ replied, I cannot read. Who is this angel? Jibreel. Jibreel is not mentioned, the name is not mentioned, but Al-Malak. This Al is of Ahd al-Dhihni. Ahd is that when it's understood. So it's understood that the angel who brings revelation came, and that is Jibreel. And what did he say to the Prophet ﷺ? Read. And the Prophet ﷺ response was, Ma ana biqari, I do not read. What does it mean by this? Ma ana biqari. Hmm? That I am not at all a reciter. I am not one of those people who read. I am not one of those people who recite. Why did he say that? Because he was an ummi. He could not read, he could not write. So he said, ما أنا بقارئ. I am not of those people who read. So what happened? فَقَالَ إِقْرَأْ قَالَ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئْ قَالَ The Prophet ﷺ said, فَأَخَذَنِي فَغَطَّنِي حَتَّى بَلَغَ مِنِّي الْجَهْدَ that the angel grabbed me and pressed me so hard that I could not bear it anymore. What does it mean by this? That the angel seized me, grabbed me, and غطني, he pressed me. Meaning the angel enveloped him and squeezed him to the point of almost suffocating him. Because he said, حَتَّى بَلَغَ مِنِّي الْجَهْدَ Until it became unbearable for me, it became very difficult for me. So it, it was as though he suffocated him. The question is why? Why is it that the angel had to squeeze him and press him to the point of almost suffocating him? Why was it necessary? Could the angel not just appear before him like he appeared before Maryam? Huh? And say that, Inni Rasulullah, I am the messenger of Allah to you. I am the angel who has been sent to you to bring revelation to you. Could that not be done? Why is it that the Prophet ﷺ had to be pressed? That when you feel the stress, the physical strain in a situation, then what happens is that your energy level, it goes higher. You become more alert. Isn't it so? You become more sharp. When you're experiencing difficulty, when you're experiencing pain, we have discussed this point earlier as well, that your mind becomes sharper, your senses become very sharp, you begin to perceive things which you would neglect otherwise. So this is why. And also we see that physical contact would ensure the Prophet ﷺ that this was a reality. What he was experiencing was a reality. It was not just you know, some words that he was hearing. Because if you hear words and you don't see the person, you could doubt yourself that maybe it's just my imagination. Isn't it so? That perhaps I'm just hallucinating. But if you hear and you feel something touches you, then you know that what you're experiencing is real. It's not just your imagination. So he had to feel this experience as a reality. He had to perceive it as a reality. And then what happened? The angel, ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي فَقَالَ إِقْرَأْ قُلْتُ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئْ فَأَخَذَنِي فَغَطَّنِي الثَّانِيَةَ حَتَّى بَلَغَ مِنِّي الْجَهْدَ ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي فَقَالَ إِقْرَأْ فَقُلْتُ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئْ فَأَخَذَنِي فَغَطَّنِي الثَّالِثَةَ he then released me and again asked me to read. And I replied, I cannot read. Thereupon he grabbed me again and pressed me a second time until I could not bear it anymore. He then released me and again asked me to read. But again I replied, I cannot read. Thereupon he grabbed me for the third time and pressed me and then released me and said, اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم that read in the name of your Lord who has created he has created man from a clot read and your Lord is the most generous what do we see over here? that it happened three times that thrice the angel said to him read thrice he replied I cannot read thrice he grabbed him and pressed him to the point that he felt suffocated why was this done? Same reason, right? To make him 
feel it as a reality, to make him perceive it as a reality. It didn't just happen once. And you see, every time the angel said to him, read, the Prophet ﷺ said, I cannot read. I am not one who reads. So repeatedly, as though it was being said to him, that you have to read, you have to read. And look at the revelation. Iqra, read, how? Bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Not with your own ability, not with your own strength, not with your own capability, but rather with the might and power of your Lord and His assistance. Iqra, bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. What does it show to us? The first wahi. That iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq Read with the might and power of your Lord His assistance That a person cannot gain knowledge A person cannot do much Except with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala You might think that you're unable to do something You might think that you're completely incapable It's not within your ability You don't have the skill But remember that whenever you're doing something For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you're doing something in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're not doing it only relying on yourself. You cannot do it just with your own ability. You need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the first lesson, first lesson that the Prophet ﷺ was given. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Not by your own power, but by the power of the one who created you. And this is the beauty of our religion. That we see, for example, when we are trying to learn, when we are trying to study the deen, a person might think, I cannot memorize. Many times when I ask people, how is this course going? They say, you know, I'm finding it a bit difficult to memorize. Pray for my memory. Yes, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthen your memory. But you must remember that it's not just your ability. You can only do this with the help of Allah. So ask Allah to improve your memory. Ask Allah to strengthen your Ability to recite Strengthen your ability to retain what you have learned Give you the ability to understand complicated things Complicated matters as well So iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq And look at the first revelation That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with the mention of khalq Alladhi khalaq Iqra' wa rabbukal akram His rububiyyah And the great favor of Allah upon man Of what? Of ilm Alladhi allama bilqalam and in this hadith, obviously, only the first three ayat are mentioned. But we know that the first revelation was how many ayat of Surah Alaq? The first five. Then what happened? فَرَجْعَ بِهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَرْجُفُ فُؤَادُهُ Then Allah's Messenger returned with the inspiration and with his heart beating severely. يَرْجُفُ فُؤَادُهُ It was beating severely. What does it mean by this? It was beating severely. It shows the effect of the wahi on him. And it shows the strain, the difficulty that he experienced in receiving the first revelation. And how he was also afraid. Because when is it that your heart moves like this? When? When you are afraid. When you're exhausted. So aduhu shows the effect and the strain that he experienced in receiving the first revelation. And this is why when he went home, what did he say? Cover me. فَدَخَلَ عَلَىٰ خَدِيجَةَ بِنْتِ خُوَيْلِدٍ فَقَالْ زَمِّلُونِي زَمِّلُونِي Then he went to Khadija bint Khuwaylid, meaning his wife, and he said, cover me, cover me. So what happened? فَزَمَّلُوهُ حَتَّى ذَهَبَ عَنْهُ الرَّوْعُ They covered him until fear was over. And then فَقَالَ لِخَدِيجَةَ وَأَخْبَرَهَا الْخَبَرَ And after that he told her everything that had happened, he said, إِنِّي خَشِيتُ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِي I fear for myself. إِنِّي خَشِيتُ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِي what do we see over here? What are some of the lessons that we can learn from this? How the Prophet ﷺ went home and he asked to be covered and Khadija ﷺ, she covered him. And then after that, he informed her everything. He told her about everything. And then he said, I fear for myself. Just picture this entire incident. What comes to your mind? But how Khadija ﷺ comforted him? How she comforted him? And this is the role of a wife. This is the responsibility of the wife and both the spouses. This is the responsibility of a Muslim, a believer. That when he sees another person worried and concerned, what do we do generally? What happened? Isn't it so? We want to ask the other person what happened. We don't wait for them to tell us. And when we ask them what happened, it's quite possible they don't want to tell you. right? For example, if you see that somebody is worried, what do we say? What happened? Instead, you could ask, Everything's okay? Can I do something for you? You want to share something with me? You want to tell me something? When we're asking them what happened, the other person might become a bit 
you know, why are you asking me? Who are you to ask me? Isn't it so? And also we see that how she comforted the Prophet ﷺ that when he said, cover me, she covered him. And she waited for him to calm down. She waited for him to inform her. And this is something that we all should do as well. That whenever we see someone in panic, first of all, don't just ignore them. She paid attention to him. Many times what happens? Husband walks in, he's tense, he's worried. Keep your negativity to yourself. I'm very tired. Don't have time to hear all of your stories. No. If they want to share something with you, let them. And if they're seeking advice, give them. If they want to relax, make them relax. So we see this beautiful characteristic in Khadija radiallahu anha. And then the Prophet sallallahu after telling her everything, what did he say? Inni khashitu ala nafsi, I fear for myself. What was his fear? This could be fear of death. This could be fear of junoon. This could be fear of some illness. And why is it that the Prophet ﷺ was so afraid? Why do you think so? Because the revelation was very difficult. Just imagine, the angel grabbed him to the point that he could not bear it anymore. And this happened three times. And the Prophet ﷺ was so afraid, he felt he was going to die. Obviously, we learn from the Qur'an that if the Qur'an was revealed on a mountain, what would happen to that mountain? It would crumble out of the fear of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ was a human being. He was a bashar. So obviously what he experienced was very difficult upon him. And this is why he said what he said, that I fear for myself. He was genuinely afraid. He was genuinely frightened. So Khadija anha, what was her response? فَقَالَتْ لَهُ خَدِيجَةُ كَلَّا No way. Never. It's not possible. Meaning, don't fear. وَاللَّهِ مَا يَحْزُنْكَ اللَّهُ أَبَدًا إِنَّكَ لَتَصِلُ الرَّحِمْ وَتَحْمِلُ الْكَلْءِ وَتَكْسِبُ الْمَعْدُومِ وَتَقْرِ الضَّيْفِ وَتُعِينُ عَلَى نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ She replied, never. By Allah, Allah will never disgrace you. Why? Because you keep good relations with your kith and kin. You benefit the poor and the destitute. You serve your guests generously and assist the deserving calamity afflicted ones. We see over here, Khadija Radilana was a very brave woman. She didn't freak out. She didn't get frightened. She didn't show any worry. She showed concern. However, she also showed a lot of bravery. That where the Prophet ﷺ was afraid that something was going to happen to him, she says, no way. It's not possible that something bad would happen to you. Why would she say something like this? Put yourself in that situation. Wouldn't you think that yeah, something bad is going on? Wouldn't you think like that? That perhaps some danger is coming up, something terrible is going to happen in the future? Any person would feel like this. But Khadija anha, her response shows her intelligence. It shows her intelligence and it shows how well she knew the Prophet ﷺ and how much she was on fitrah. How? That she proves that what just happened is a blessing of Allah and it cannot be anything harmful. Why? Because of these good qualities you have. Because of these good qualities you have. Any person who has these qualities, who is he? A righteous person. And a righteous person, Allah will only bless him. Even if on the outward, it appears to be something otherwise. A person who is righteous, Allah will only bless him. Even if on the outward, it appears to be otherwise. You understand that? You know, like we say, blessing in disguise. So apparently it may seem like it's something very harmful. But in reality, it's a huge blessing. So what happened is a blessing. It cannot be something dangerous or harmful. This is not a punishment. This is in fact a blessing. Because of these qualities that you have. Because the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how is it that the one who is righteous, the one who is good, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will facilitate good for him. And a person who is otherwise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will facilitate misguidance for him. What do we learn? فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنُوا يَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى But on the other hand, فَلَمَّا زَاغُوا أَزَاغُ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ So Khadija anha, it shows how intelligent she was, how much she was on fitrah, and how well she knew the Prophet wasallam. That when she saw these traits in him, she said, it's not possible that Allah would degrade you, it's not possible that Allah would humiliate you, He would cause you to grieve. Because you possess these noble traits and it's only natural that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless you with more. Now, how does she describe the Prophet ﷺ? She describes the Prophet ﷺ as first of all, إِنَّكَ لَتَصِلُ الرَّحِيمُ Indeed, you join the relations. 
So if you join a relations, what does it mean? You're doing something good. When you're doing something good, Allah will only bless you. He will not punish you. He will only bless you. What does it show? That it's in the fitrah of people. That man wasala rahim wasalahullah. The one who joins relations, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also bless him. Secondly, she says, وَتَحْمِلُ kal, And you carry the kal. What does this word kal mean? Kal is from the root letters kaf, lam, lam. In Surah An-Nahl we learn, وَهُوَ كَلٌ عَلَى مَوْلَاهُ And he is completely dependent on his master. Who is kal? Kal is someone who is completely dependent on others. He cannot stand on his own. He cannot carry himself. He cannot bear his own burden. So what does he do? He completely relies on who? On other people. Other people have to carry him. This could be in the physical sense, in the tangible sense, as well as in the intangible sense. In the tangible sense, like for example, a person is very poor. He is unable to provide for himself. So he is dependent on others. Other people financially support him. You understand? So, تَحْمِلُ kal, You carry the kal, meaning you help the dependent people. How? Financially. That they completely depend on you for financial aid and assistance. And in the intangible sense, that if a person does not have any strength to do something, to take care of themselves, then you take care of them. And there were many people in Mecca. Many people, like for example, many orphans even, right? Who had no family. But who would look after them? The Prophet ﷺ. So, وَتَحْمِلُ kal, You completely carry the kal, the person who is dependent. And you see, carrying someone, what does it show? It shows that the one who is carrying is bearing hardship. Isn't it so? Carrying a burden entails bearing hardship. It means that a person is fully supporting, fully sponsoring the other. So, وَتَحْمِلُ kal. This is a very noble characteristic. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ, before prophethood and after prophethood, he was like this. That he would help other people to a great extent. If we have to go out of our way to help someone, we feel bad for ourselves. What do we think? That they are depending on us too much and they are taking advantage of us. The Prophet ﷺ was literally as if carrying other people who would not stand on their own feet. He was very, very generous. He was very, very helpful. He was very, very cooperative. That if you look at the background of the Prophet ﷺ, he was himself an orphan. Isn't it so? He grew up as an orphan. And then later, up until he married Khadija he suffered a lot of financial difficulty as well. But we see that still he went out of his way to help other people. And this is why Khadija also married him. Isn't it so? But what did he do? We present excuses. I cannot do this because of such and such reason. I cannot help them because of this and this reason. The fact is that when you help other people, Allah will help you. When you are busy trying to help other people, Allah will help you. Allah will take care of your affairs. Don't think everything is in your hands. You are supposed to do what you can do, and Allah will make everything possible. So وَتَحْمِلُ kal. So you carry the one who is completely dependent. You carry the burden. Kal is also understood as burden. So you carry burden, burden of who? Other people. Meaning the burden that they cannot carry themselves, you carry it for them. Like Khadija radhiallahu she was a woman, she was a businesswoman, but she could not go on trade journeys herself. So the Prophet ﷺ took responsibility of that and he would travel for her. Isn't it so? So وَتَحْمِلُ kal. And this also shows the generosity of the Prophet ﷺ. That how generous he was. That he would financially support other people fully, completely. He would spend like the one who does not fear poverty. And we think twice before giving even a gift that we can easily afford sometimes. So he would give like a person who does not fear any poverty. And we know that once the Prophet ﷺ gave a man so many sheep, so many animals that had covered the entire valley. So he was very, very generous. وَتَحْمِلُ kal. Thirdly, she says, وَتَكْسِبُ الْمَعْدُومِ وَتَكْسِبُ الْمَعْدُومِ تَكْسِبُ is from kasb. And kasb is to earn, to acquire. And what is ma'doom? Ma'doom is from the root letters ayn, dal, meem. And ma'doom is that which is missing, that which is absent, that which is not there. And the word ma'doom has been understood in a number of ways, which is why you might see a variation in translation. First of all, it is said that ma'doom is the one who is deprived, meaning the one who doesn't have anything. Because adam is when something is non-existent, it's not there. So Ma'adum is the one who doesn't have anything. His hands are empty. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have anything. So Taksibul Ma'adum. 
What does it mean by this? You earn the ma'doom, meaning you earn for him. The one who has nothing, you earn for him. You earn for him and you provide him then. The one who is completely deprived, you earn for his sake. We can also understand that taksib al-ma'doom, you earn the deprived people. What does it mean by that? That you earn their love, you earn their respect, and you earn their friendship. Many times we want respect, we want friendship, we want support. But we don't get it even if we spend a lot of money on other people. How do you really earn other people's sincerity and their friendship and their love? By helping them. Isn't it so? In the Qur'an, what has been said? That, لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا If you had spent everything in the earth, you would not have been able to earn the love of the people. It would be impossible. So this is by the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not done by money. It's done by helping people, which is indeed a blessing of Allah. So تَكْسِبُ الْمَعْدُومِ Then it has also been said that ma'doom is that which is not there, so that which people cannot earn in terms of reward. So تَكْسِبُ الْمَعْدُومِ You earn that reward, you avail that opportunity, which other people don't see. You find an opportunity and you benefit from that. Other people are deprived of that reward, ma'doom. But you earn that. You understand? That there is an opportunity. Other people are completely deprived of its reward. But you earn its reward. How? That you avail that opportunity. Many times it happens that there is something to be done. And what do we say? Somebody will do it. Other people will do it. I don't have to do it. It's not an obligation. It's not a homework. But there are some people who, even if it's not a homework, even if it's not their duty, even if somebody else can do it, they will do it. So taksibul ma'doom, you avail opportunities. Then it has also been said that taksibul ma'doom means that just as other people, they aspire worldly benefit, you aspire and wish to benefit. How? By helping the poor, by helping those people who are needy. So ma'doom is the one who is needy. So taksibu that's what you earn, that's what you're after. Kasb, that a person is putting in effort, he's aspiring for something. So people are aspiring for wealth, for money, for fame. But what are you going after? The people who are deprived. The people who are deprived, nobody even looks at them, nobody pays any attention to them, you pay attention to them. You are aspiring to help them, to benefit them. And there are many other meanings as well. So taksibul ma'doom, two words, but so profound. Then the next thing is That you give hospitable reception to the guests What does it mean to give hospital reception And the guest And we see that this was the habit of the Prophet ﷺ Even before Prophethood He was like this before as well as after And this is a very very noble characteristic We see that Ibrahim ﷺ He also was very hospitable towards the guests that came to him Then وَتُعِينُ عَلَى نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ And you help, you assist, تُعِينُ عَلَى Upon نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ What does it mean by نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ? This has been understood in a number of ways as well. First of all, if you look at the word نَوَائِب نَوَائِب is from the root letters نُون وَاوْبَ نُون وَاوْبَ It is said that نَوَائِب is a plural of نَائِبَ نَائِبَ And what is نَائِبَ? It is a calamity a disaster. Nabayanubu literally is to go around, so it's a calamity that comes suddenly. So nawaibil haq, what does it mean by this? It means the calamities that people suffer in the way of haq. The calamities that people suffer in the way of truth. That a person is true, he is innocent, but yet he is accused of committing a crime. For example, so you help them, you assist them. So the truth, you support it. وَتُعِينُ عَلَى نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ That a person suffers from a difficulty, from a calamity, although he is right, although he committed no crime, although he is not guilty. Like for example, a person is accused of committing murder when he never committed murder. So he is innocent. So who would support these innocent people? The Prophet ﷺ Another meaning has been given Of nawaib al-haq And that is Nawaib Plural of naib Who is naib? Naib al-fa'il Naib Representative So nawaib al-haq Meaning 
the matters of truth that people represent, that people advocate. People advocate many things. Sometimes they are just, sometimes they are unjust. Sometimes they are right, sometimes they are wrong. What do you support? Who do you support? Those who are advocating that which is right. For example, the incident of Hilful Fudul. Did the Prophet ﷺ support that? Yes, he did. And even after prophethood, what did he say? That if something like this happens today, I will do it. I will support it. So the truth that people advocate, you support that. And if it's something otherwise, something battle that people are advocating, you don't support that. You don't cooperate in that. وَتُعِينُ عَلَى نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ so these are the noble traits that the Prophet ﷺ possessed that Khadija radiallahu described him with. What are they? Let's go over them again. That innaka la tasilul rahim, wa tahmilul kal, wa taksibul ma'dum, wa taqri al-dayf, wa tu'inu ala nawaib al-haq. You have these amazing qualities, and because you possess these qualities, Allah will only bless you with good. So what has happened is not something bad; it's definitely a blessing. Very strong language. And they're so deep. Isn't it so? These words are so deep and they have so many multiple meanings as well which shows how eloquent Khadija radiallahu was. That in one description, she's describing him in so many different ways. And it's as though she's covered so many different aspects of his personality. His sense of responsibility, his affection towards other people, his integrity, the way he was so honest and truthful. All of these qualities are combined within these qualities. She didn't say, why do you go up there in the cave? You leave us alone over here and then you go up there, stay with us, stay out of trouble. I told you so, nothing like that. Look at how she supported the Prophet ﷺ. مَا يُخْزِيكَ اللَّهُ abada, And she's praising him, praising him. What does it show? How much she loved the Prophet ﷺ. Because you can only say such things to a person when you, when you feel it. And if it comes out in a situation like this, in a situation of fear, like such praise is coming out of your mouth, this shows that you genuinely love them. You really know them. You're genuinely concerned about them. That look at the beautiful words that she selected for the Prophet ﷺ to comfort him, to praise him. She's not exaggerating in her praise either. She's not saying, oh, uh, no, no, don't worry, everything will be fine, everything will be fine. Look at the words, the words that she's selecting. Then what happened? فَانْتَلَقَتْ بِهِ خَدِيجَةُ حَتَّى أَتَتْ بِهِ وَرَقَتَ بْنَ نَوْفَلِ بْنِ أَسَدِ بْنِ عَبْدِ الْعُزَّةِ So Khadija radiallahu then took him to her cousin. Who was he? وَرَقَ ibn نَوْفَلِ ibn Asad ibn Abdul Uzza. And this man was ibn Ammi Khadijata, meaning the cousin of Khadija radiallahu وَكَانَ مْرَأً قَدْ تَنَصَّرَ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ He was a man who had embraced Christianity in the time of Jahiliyyah. In the pre-Islamic period of ignorance. وَكَانَ يَكْتُبُ الْكِتَابِ الْعِبْرَانِيَّ Hebrew, meaning he was able to write in Hebrew. And what would he write? فَيَكْتُبُ مِنَ الْإِنْجِيلِ He would write the gospel. In what language? بِالْعِبْرَانِيَّةِ How much would he write? مَا شَاءَ اللَّهُ أَنْ يَكْتُبَ As much as Allah enabled him to write. And he was so old by this point that the Prophet ﷺ, when he went to him, وَكَانَ شَيْخًا كَبِيرًا قَدْ عَمِيَ He had become blind. He had lost his eyesight. Now, وَرَقَ Ibn Nawfil He had ilmul kitab. He had knowledge of the book. Which book is this? The Injil, the gospel. And he was a Christian. But remember that at that time, Christianity was not the way it is now. It was in a purer form. Not the purest form, but in a purer form. By then, obviously, many, many alterations had been made. But still, it was much better compared to how it is today. Which is why, inshallah, we will learn in the incident of Hiraqal as well, that how when the letter was sent to him, how he also knew that the Prophet ﷺ was indeed the last Prophet. So, he was a Christian man, but we cannot compare him to the Christians of today. Because there are some people who will say, look, he went to a Christian. So you Muslims should also go to Christians. No, the Christians of today, the Christians of that time, there's a huge difference. Huge difference. Yes, and on the other hand, he was a very knowledgeable man. He was a scholar of Christianity because he would write Hebrew. He would write the book. Now, this man, he was a cousin of Khadija radiallahu which means he was an Arab. He was from Mecca. How did he become a Christian? How was he a Christian? Because we know that the Arabs were mushrikeen. Yes, very true. That there were those people who became tired of polytheism, of shirk. Amongst them were Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail. So these people, amongst them was also Waraqa ibn Nufal. They got tired of polytheism, not tired as in bored, but they knew that this was not right. They knew it did not make sense. So they left Makkah and 
they travel towards Asham, the area of Palestine, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and other places, searching about different religions. And this shows to us that this has been uh, the truths you know, people search for. And this is a practice since the very beginning. That at that time also people were searching for truth. And Salman al-Farisi, he searched for truth as well. And even today there are so many people who leave their homes, leave their countries in search of truth. They go to one country, another country, and eventually they find something. So Waraka, what appealed to him was Christianity. So he became a Christian. And he met different monks. And he remained with them. He learned with them. And then he came to Makkah and he stayed there. But even then, over there, he would practice Christianity. So this man, he had knowledge of the Injil and the knowledge of the Gospel. And the Gospel, what they knew, was given by who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this also shows to us that the mushrikeen, as well as the nasara, they believed in the same Allah. You understand? Because Khadija radiallahu anha, she took the Prophet wasallam to who? A Christian man. Why? Because they shared their faith some way or the other. And what was that? That they believed in the same God. Because some people argue today that no, the God that you believe in is not the same as the God that Christians believe in. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the same. Christians believe in Him and we also believe in the same Allah. So anyway, when Khadija radiallahu took him to that man, she said to Waraka that listen to the story of your nephew, O my cousin. And Waraka asked, O my nephew, what have you seen? So Allah's Messenger ﷺ informed him of what he had seen and Waraqa said, this is the same one who keeps the secrets whom Allah has sent to Moses. Meaning this is the same Namus who went to Musa ﷺ as well. Now Khadija anha, she introduced the Prophet ﷺ as the nephew of Waraqa. Was he actually his nephew? Because she said, Yabna ammi isma' min ibni akhik. Was he actually the son of his brother? No, this was just out of respect. So Waraqa said, what did you see? So the Prophet ﷺ informed him. And Waraqa's response was, هَذَا النَّامُوسُ الَّذِي نَزَّلَ اللَّهُ عَلَى مُوسَى This is the same namus that Allah had sent to Musa ﷺ. What does this word namus mean? Namus means Rasulul Sir, secret messenger. The one who is sent secretly so that others don't find out about him. Who sends him? The king. But how does the king send him? Secretly. And he comes secretly in disguise that other people don't figure out that he is a messenger of the king. It is also said that Namus is the secret keeper of the king, the one who keeps the secrets of the king. But they're good secrets, not bad secrets, like the king, for example, is cheating his people. No, it's always good secrets that Namus keeps. So why is Jibreel described as Namus? Because he was a messenger of who? The king of all kings, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how did he come? As a messenger. And how did he come? Secretly. It's a secret messenger. Rasul al-Sir. So he said, this is the same Namus that was sent to Musa salam as well. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent message to you as well. Just as he sent message to Musa salam, Just as he sent message to Isa salam. And then he says, يَا لَيْتَنِي فِيهَا جَدَعٌ لَيْتَنِي أَكُونُ حَيًّا إِذْ يُخْرِجُكَ قَوْمُكَ Oh, I wish that I was young and I would be alive when your people will drive you out. Why did he say this, that your people will drive you out? This was out of his firasa, out of his sharpness, his farsightedness that Waraqa said this. Because the incident that the Prophet ﷺ told him, he knew that the angel Jibreel had come to him. When the angel Jibreel came to him, this means that the Prophet ﷺ was made a messenger. When he's received prophethood, he will have to convey it. He would have to call people to this message. When he will call people to this message... Will the people accept? They will not accept because this has been the way from the very beginning. Isn't it so? Musa salam was rejected by Fir'aun. Similarly, Isa salam was also rejected by the Bani Israel. So this has been the tradition. This has been the custom. This shows how well Waraqa knew the kitab. And how well he understood. So he said that, I wish I would be there when your people will turn you out. When your people will turn you out. And I would support you. The Prophet ﷺ asked him, Awa mukhrijiyahum, will they actually expel me? Will they actually drive me out? And he said, Of course, naam, lam yati rajulun qattu bimithli ma jita bihi illa udiya. No man ever came with what you have brought except that he was treated with hostility. People opposed him. Because every messenger was opposed by the people. Because what the messengers bring is something that people don't want to do. Which is why they have left it. And the messenger, usually what does he tell the people? to do that which contradicts their present ways. 
So this is why the people were hostile towards the messengers that were sent to them. And Waraqa knew that the mushrikeen of Makkah will also be hostile to the Prophet ﷺ. So then he shows his support. That وَإِن يُدْرِكْنِي يَوْمُكْ أَنصُرْكَ نَصْرًا مُؤَزَّرًا If I meet your day, meaning if I'm alive on that day, then I will help you, I will assist you. ثُمَّ لَمْ يَنْشَبْ وَرَقَةُ أَن تُوَفِّيَ وَفَتْرَ الْوَحْيُ His willingness to support the Prophet ﷺ. What does that show? That Waraqa believed in the Prophet ﷺ. And it is said that this is the reason why Waraqa was the first believer in the Prophet ﷺ's Nubuwa. And afterwards when the Prophet ﷺ was told to warn the people, that is when he received Risala. And when he invited the people who was the first one he called, Abu Bakr And Abu Bakr became a Muslim at that. So but the willingness that Waraqa showed, this shows that he was a believer. And why is it the Prophet ﷺ was surprised when Waraqa told him that your people will expel you, he said, Why was he surprised? Given the noble qualities that the Prophet ﷺ possessed, everyone had great respect for him. The poor, the needy, the men, the women, the elite, everyone had great respect for him, which is why he was surprised that people will actually expel me, they will drive me out of here. Given the tribal culture that people had in that society, that if somebody is from your tribe, you support them no matter what they do, no matter what they say. So this is why he was surprised. That it will go to such an extent that people will expel me. They will not even let me stay in Makkah. They will expel me from Makkah. So this is why he was surprised. And Waraqa, he comforted him that yes, of course this will happen. But if I'm there, I will definitely aid you and support you. But what happened? He did not remain alive for too long. That he died. And وَفَتَرَ الْوَحْيُ And the wahi also stopped for some time. What does it mean by this وَفَتَرَ الْوَحْيُ That for some time the wahi did not come. It did not come. Why is it that the wahi did not come for some time? Why do you think so? For him to regain his strength so that he could uh, receive more wahi. Okay, what else? To be mentally prepared for more. Remember that he was frightened when he first met Jibreel. He was afraid to overcome his fear, to relax. Because when you're afraid of something or someone, if you meet them too soon, if you're in that situation again too soon, your fear will increase. Isn't it so? But if some time is given, then you think about it, you reflect over it, and especially after the conversation he had with Waraqa, then what happens? You tend to relax a bit. Isn't it so? You're more prepared to face it in the future. That it increases your desire. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he did not receive wahi for some time, it definitely increased in his yearning to receive more wahi. The next hadith, number four, is connected with this hadith. Hadith number four is connected with hadith number three. قال ابن شهاب ابن شهاب said who is ابن شهاب ابن شهاب الزهري if you look at hadith number 3 حدثنا يحيى بن بكير قال حدثنا الليث عن عقيل عن ابن شهاب so ابن شهاب is actually one of the narrators so ابن شهاب in addition to this hadith he also narrated this piece of information this narration he also narrated so قال ابن شهاب what did ابن شهاب narrate that واخبرني ابو سلمه بن عبد الرحمن أن جابر بن عبد الله الأنصارية قال وهو يحدث عن فترة الوحي that جابر بن عبد الله الأنصاري he said when while he was narrating يحدث about فترة الوحي if you notice the end of the previous hadith وفترة الوحي that's how it ended and in this hadith is mentioned about فترة الوحي so وهو يحدث عن فترة الوحي فقال he said who said Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari fi hadithihi in his hadith whose hadith? in his speech while he was narrating so he narrated what the Prophet ﷺ said what did he say? that bayna bayna what does it mean? it means while once so bayna ana amshi while once when I was walking idh sami'tu sawtan idh when sami'tu I heard sawtan a voice, مِنَ السَّمَاءِ from the sky. فَرَفَعْتُ بَصَرِي So I raised my sight. Why? In order to look up, because he heard the sound coming from the sky. فَإِذَا الْمَلَكُ الَّذِي جَاءَنِي بِحِرَائٍ So suddenly, the angel who had come to me at Hira, the same angel was جَالِسٌ عَلَى كُرْسِيٍ Sitting on a kursi. Where? بَيْنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ Between the sky and the earth. In mid-air. 
That's where the angel was. فَرُعِبْتُ مِنْهُ So I was afraid of him. I was terrified of him. فَرَجَعْتُ So I returned. Returned where? Home. فَقُلْتُ So I said, زَمِّلُونِي Cover me, cover me. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى Then Allah Ta'ala, He revealed, يَا أَيُّهَا الْمُدَّثِّرِ قُمْ فَأَنزِرْ إِلَى قَوْلِهِ وَالرُّجِزَ فَهْجِرْ So Surah Al-Mudathir, the beginning ayat were revealed. And then, فَحَمِيَ So it became hot. Hamia literally, to become hot. What? Al-Wahyu, the revelation. وَتَتَابَعَ what does it mean by this? فَحَمِيَ الْوَحْيُ وَتَتَابَعَ حَمِيَ الْوَحْيُ Meaning قَوِيَ It became strong. It began coming strongly. And تَتَابَعَ Or in another narrative, in your book, it is said تَوَاتَرَ Both words are narrated. تَتَابَعَ and تَوَاتَرَ What does it mean? That تَكَاثَرَ It began coming a lot. It increased in its frequency. So it began coming strongly and more frequently. Without any gap, one after the other. فَحَمِيَ الْوَحْيُ وَتَوَاتَرَ or تَتَابَعَ So this is the text of the hadith. Imam Bukhari, he adds to this, تَابَعَهُ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنِ يُوسُفَ وَأَبُوْ صَالِحِ Abdullah ibn Yusuf and Abu Salih, they تَابَعَهُ وَتَابَعَهُ هِلَالُ بْنُ رَدَّادٍ عَنِ الزُّهْرِ And Hilal ibn Raddad also تَابَعَهُ from who? الزُّهْرِ What does it mean by this? Taba'a. This is a proper term, mutaba'a, taba'a, from the mutaba'a. Inshallah, you will learn about this more in Ulumul Hadith. But just to tell you briefly about this, taba'a, mutaba'a is when Imam Bukhari, he's basically adding, he's basically proving that his chain is strong. Why? Because there are other people also who have narrated the same hadith. There are other people also who have narrated the same hadith. Who are these other people who have narrated the same hadith? Abdullah ibn Yusuf and Abu Salih. Abdullah ibn Yusuf and Abu Salih, even they have narrated the same hadith. And they have narrated from who? Their respective teachers, who are also in the chain of narration of Imam Bukhari. And Hilal ibn Raddad, he has also narrated this hadith from who? From Az-Zuhri. So where Imam Bukhari narrates from Ibn Shihab Az-Zuhri, from there, Imam Bukhari narrates, the chain comes to Imam Bukhari, and it also comes to who? Hilal ibn Raddad. So in other words, he is mentioning three other chains over here. By mentioning three people, he's mentioning three other chains over here. That there are three other people also who have narrated the same hadith. Why is he doing this? To show that this is a very strong hadith. So he's mentioning different asanid over here. If you read the text, what does it say? Taba'uhu. So one from Abdullah ibn Yusuf. Second from Abu Salih and the third from Hilal ibn Raddad from who? From Az-Zuhri. Meaning Hilal ibn Raddad has also narrated this from Az-Zuhri. So there are three other chains that Imam Bukhari is mentioning in a very brief way. And inshallah we will see this more common in his book. وَقَالَ يُونُسُ وَمَعْمَرٌ And Yunus and Ma'mar, they have said بَوَادِرُهُ بَوَادِرُهُ Meaning, Yunus and Ma'mar, in their version, they have narrated this hadith with the word Bawadiruhu. In which place? In the place of, he's talking about the text of the hadith. Bawadiruhu, meaning in the place of the qalb of the Prophet ﷺ. We see over here. Now what does it mean by Bawadiruhu? Bawadir is a plural of Badirah. And it's used for the area between your neck and shoulder. So, he came back while his neck lower neck and his shoulder, they were yarjufu. They were also shaking. So in one version, what do we learn? That his heart was shaking. In the other version, we learn that his shoulder, his neck was shaking, as if he was shuddering. Like when you are shuddering, when you're shivering, he was so afraid that he was literally shuddering. He was that frightened. So in one version is the word fu'adu, and in another version, it's the word bawadiru. Now let's look at the text of this hadith, of this hadith that Imam Bukhari has joined with it. That Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, he said, while he was narrating about the Fatrat al-Wahi, that while the Prophet ﷺ was once walking, he heard a voice from the sky. He was walking. And he heard a voice from the sky. So he raised his gaze, he looked up, and he saw the angel, the same angel, Angel Jibreel, he was sitting over there, in the sky. The Prophet ﷺ was frightened, and he went back home, and 
then the ayat were revealed. What does it show to us? That the second revelation was which one? Suratul Muddathir. The second revelation that came to the Prophet ﷺ was Suratul Muddathir. And after that, the wahi began coming regularly. It increased, it started coming more strongly and more consistently. The frequency also increased. Why does Imam Bukhari mention this over here in addition to the previous hadith? What's the reason? The previous hadith, yes, it shows to us the, this is how the wahi began. Because a bab is what? How the wahi began coming to the Prophet ﷺ. So this hadith tells us how initially it was true dreams and then the Prophet ﷺ loved seclusion. And then eventually the angel appeared to him in the cave. What's the point of mentioning this? That the second revelation was Suratul Muddathir. And then after that, the wahi began coming regularly. This is how the wahi began. And it also shows that the Prophet ﷺ still had some fear. He still had some fear initially. But then that fear gradually dwindled away. The first time, he was extremely frightened. Second time again, he was frightened. But then this text shows us that that fear eventually went away, eventually dwindled away. What does it show? That initially a person may have some fear, he may find some difficulty, but then eventually learning becomes easier. It becomes easier. So just because of that fear, should a person not even take the first step? Take the first step. Try at least. And then decide whether you want to continue or not. But how can you be afraid of something that you haven't even tried? Because sometimes people say that, no, I cannot study this, I cannot take this course because it's too much. I cannot do it. Don't be afraid. Try it. Once you do it a few times, it will become easier. So revelation, it was difficult on him initially, but then gradually it became easier upon him. Anything else you'd like to add? That we see the honesty of the Prophet ﷺ, that when the angel appeared to him and he said to him, read, the Prophet ﷺ, I'm not one who reads. That was his response. I'm not a reader. I'm not one of those people who recite. He was very honest about it. And we, sometimes out of the fear of embarrassment or shame, we will sometimes lie to cover up our faults. Some have said that ma ana biqari also means what should I read? When he was told, Iqra, read, so he said, ma. But this is a little far. The meaning that's more strong is that I am not one who reads. I mean, even if you give me something to read, I'm not a reader. See, for the Prophet ﷺ, what we learned from the hadith is that he spent a number of nights in the cave of Hira. And some have said that it was up to a month. And especially the month of Ramadan. So that would be 30 days and not 40. And for Musa it was 40 days. So why is it that they had to go on the mountain and stay away from the people? That the benefit we discussed earlier was for the purpose of seclusion, to develop the ability to concentrate, to focus. And that's extremely important for the Messenger of Allah. Anything else? That Waraqa ibn Nawfal, we see his greatness as well, that how when the Prophet came to him and told him about what had happened, look at the respect that Waraqa showed to him. That I will help you, I will assist you, because he recognized what the truth was. So this is a kind of humility that a person must have towards the truth that knowledge should bring. He was knowledgeable and his knowledge made him like that. So knowledge should bring humility in a person and the ability to accept the truth. The Prophet ﷺ received Risala after he passed away. And just one thing in the Arabic text of the Hadith, number three, where Musa ﷺ is mentioned. This is the namus that came to Musa. What does it say in your book? Sallallahu alayhi wa or not? Nothing, right? You might find in some Arabic versions of the hadith that it says sallallahu alayhi wa So I read sallallahu alayhi wa That's also okay because uh, you find that in the Arabic version of the book. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.